that comes, that was originally composed for the 1982 World Council of Churches meeting, uh, so we could also sing in Spanish next time. Uh, we're good like that. We could do it. It's a challenge, MJ. Next time we can do it in Spanish. Okay. Our second reading for this morning uh, is Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here ends our reading. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I can picture the scene very clearly now in my head. There I was in seventh grade, and at nighttime I would take my pillow and scrunch it down and put it in the small of my back and lean up against the bookshelf that was next to my bed. Yes, my parents did have a bookshelf next to my bed, starting early. And there I would take my little red Bible off its shelf, turn on the small lamp, and then flip in the back, find out what the reading was for that day, and open my Bible as I worked my way through the whole thing from beginning to end. Now, when I was in seventh grade, I have to admit, a lot of the Bible didn't make any sense to me. And those of you who have spent a lot of time reading scripture, particularly parts of the Hebrew Bible Old Testament, can attest to the fact that certain parts of that would go over the heads of most of us here, and particularly when you're 13 and you don't have much background, uh, that goes over your head. But I remember there are certain texts that stick out in my head that I still remember reading and being like, wow, first time I read it. And this text from Psalm 150 was one of those texts. The last psalm in the Psalter. You get to read it through and you can just feel the constant emotion of praise and joy coming through. This is a great text of ecstatic joy for a life of faith. And it's an important one to bear in mind because, let's be honest, Christians and Congregationalists are not always known for their joy. I mean... Someone comes in here and they look around. The first thing that jumps to their head might not be joy. It might be other things. Oh, this is a congregation that likes to think. This is a congregation that likes to be involved. Congregation that likes to work for social justice. Um, but joy might not be the first word that comes up. And there's a long there's, there's a long history of this. In the congregational tradition, think of one of the great figures, Jonathan Edwards, famous preacher of the 18th century. His most famous work. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Not exactly a joyful text. 
when you read it through. Uh, another one of Edwards's most famous works was he edited the diary of his son-in-law, David Brainerd. And, here, and this, this life of David Brainerd became one of the best-selling texts of the 18th and 19th century. And when you read it through, Brainerd was an early missionary to the Delaware Native Americans. And the diary reads as like one trial after another that he struggles through as he picks up his cross and tries to make his way to be a true disciple of Jesus. The message is clear. You want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to suffer. You have to sacrifice. There's not a lot of joy in the life of David Brainerd, that book. Christians even have, I mean, you you think of the stereotype of late 19th and early 20th century Christians, and there's this stereotype of the dour, overly serious Christian. That's why it's important to have texts like Psalm 150, because it reminds you that, hey, look in the Bible. There might be a lot of tough stuff in the Bible. There might be a lot of suffering and carrying crosses and making sacrifices. But you know what else is also there? Joy. Now, it's true that uh, life can can often get us down. A couple weeks ago, I was at a meeting of activists in town organized by the ACLU of Texas. And as I was sitting there looking at this, watching this presentation, they were talking about one assault on justice issues after another, particularly in the Texas state legislature. The Texas state legislature, I'm convinced of it, is set up in order to benefit uh, lobbyists and special interests because here you have one of the largest economies in the world that puts all of its lawmaking in a period of about three or four months uh, every two years. And so what that means is those who are the insiders, who know what they're doing, who have, who have prepared for it, can leverage their authority to get stuff through. Those who are just your average people in the street, literally you just get snowplowed by all the laws that come through. And so you have all this stuff that gets passed that really shouldn't get passed. And so Texas, and particularly this Texas legislature, tends to have a particular slant to it that's not a slant of the people. And so I was sitting there in this, uh, in this meeting reading about some of these laws that got proposed last minute, these extra amendments that are added on to other bills, all with an aim to push a particular agenda that the people in the room were trying to fight against. And there was a friend of mine in the room who I hadn't seen in a while, who's a full-time activist, works for a nonprofit in town, and I remember we were texting back and forth during the presentation, and I asked him, how are you? And he's like, I'm exhausted. This year, more than any other, he just feels exhausted. This almost like PTSD of having to stand up and constantly feel like you're struggling. This past Thursday, we had a great meeting here at church with some folks from the CIS board. It was a CIS board meeting and folks who were involved in TMO. And we got to hear some personal testimonies of two of the four members of the church that went down to this thing, Courts and Ports recently. And this is an effort of Texas Impact and ACLU of Texas to bring people down to the border, in this case Brownsville, to actually observe some of the stuff that's going on at the border, uh, rather than some of the stuff you might hear in the news, what's the actual truth of the stuff going on at the border, to talk to people, interview people, go into courts, and really have an immersive experience to help out, volunteer. Um, And again, hearing this personal testimony, one of the things that comes through is how broken our asylum process is. 
Uh, our process of asylum is broken. Frankly, it's broken intentionally by certain people in power. And there are not many people stepping forward to create solutions. And instead, it becomes a political football. And meanwhile, you hear these testimonies of folks from this church who were down there and experiencing the suffering of those who are on the border who have to be on the receiving end of what is undoubtedly a broken system. You know, people are fleeing violence to try and seek asylum, and there aren't actual, we're not working very hard to try and either end the violence that started it or deal appropriately with the folks who show up. And hearing this testimony, again, I just felt, there's one thing I felt, is just how overwhelming these issues are. How exhausting they are. This morning, I fired up my computer, and before I looked over notes for this morning, I was, you know, fired up Facebook, looked on my Facebook news feed, and the first thing across my Facebook news feed was this uh, meme that a friend of mine had posted, he's a very conservative friend, and all of a sudden it's this meme that's all about gun rights, and I was like, huh, that's odd, I wonder why he's posting this meme about gun rights, you know, late on a Saturday night, and then I moved my Facebook feed down, and sure enough, oh look, there's another shooting in a synagogue. Patterns continue. Bad things happen. People fall into their categories. And just wears you out. We also get, we also get worn out in our lives. I have to confess, uh, one thing I should have done this week that I didn't do <laughs> was I should have taken time off this week after all the week. You would think after all these years I, I would have learned this, but nope. No, I can be... <laughs> I can be pretty thick-headed at times. And so I, I, but I, I knew exactly how tired I was when I showed up at the gym on Monday in my day off. I got about halfway through my workout, and I just, I just quit. I was like, I can't do this. I'm too tired. Sometimes life just wears you out. And when you're all worn out, when you're run down, what do we need? How do we, how do we deal with that? What do we do about it? Well, certain people, in order to deal with that aspect of life... They remove themselves from things in life that could wear them out. There are those people who intentionally don't read the news because the news only tires them out, so they boycott the news. Uh, They boycott any environments that might challenge them. They boycott any places that might wear them down or cause them some sort of consternation. Uh, I had a friend in college uh, (laughs) who at one point... I uh, decided to embrace the phrase, uh, that's not my problem, when something clearly was his problem. So again, <laughs> have you studied for that exam tomorrow? I don't know, not my problem. Um, and that was the embodiment of this attitude. Another friend of mine in college intentionally chose to get involved in no extracurricular activities and chose the easiest possible classes with the minimum workload that he could so that he could just sit around and relax and have as few cares and worries in the world as possible. That's one solution. But of course, that's not the Christian solution. Christians are realists. We care about the world. We care about what it means to be human. We want to get involved in the messiness of it. That's where we find ourselves. That's where God calls us, Christ calls us to. But how do we sustain ourselves in the midst of that difficult environment and how wearing down life can be? One solution Psalm 150. Remember to find joy. 
I'll wait till Jim's done. Not to embarrass you, Jim. Uh, <laughs> uh, again, how do, we, how do we deal with that? We find, one way to do it is finding joy. Now, I'm not one of these people. Certain Christian theologians, like C.S. Lewis, like to make big distinctions between joy and happiness. I'm actually not someone... I think that distinction is overblown and overwrought. Um, and I'm, I'm content with having them be having a pretty healthy overlap. I'm content with saying, hey, in the midst of life, we need joy to help sustain us, moments of joy to help sustain us through the hard work that we have to do. So how can we find joy? And this is why I love this short psalm that we have for today so much. Because packed in these few verses is a way for you and me to try and remember to be joyful in our lives. Verse 2. Praise God for God's mighty acts. What a great piece of advice. We hear it all the time, but how often do we do it? Remember to create space for gratitude and thankfulness. Praise God for God's mighty acts. It's a simple thing to do. But how effective is it for making you happier? In the mornings, and the mornings when I get up after breakfast, I like to step outside my front door and just stand there for a few moments. I'm fortunate enough to live on a tree-lined street, and birds love to come and settle into those trees. And so I get to stand there. This morning, actually, a bird almost hit me as I was standing outside, but that's all right. I get to stand there and just look at these birds and look at these trees and create a moment to just be grateful. And when I do that, I sit back and I'm like, you know what? I have a pretty darn good life. I have some amazing friends in my life that I am blessed with. Uh, I have a roof over my head and a great home. I have a great job. I get to work with the best congregation in the city of Houston. I mean, my, yeah, my life is wonderful. And it's so tough sometimes to create space to do that. I'm someone who has a lot of unstructured time. And those of you who are retired, you certainly know what I mean. If you have unstructured time, uh, also those in college would know what I mean. You have a lot of unstructured time. You've got to set your own to-do lists. If you go around, you see my office at home or here, there's nothing but little stacks of paper with to-do lists on it. It's so easy to get overwhelmed with these to-do lists that you don't take time to just breathe and say, you know what, praise God for God's mighty acts. Thank you. But how nice it can be to do that. Feel some gratitude. You think about, uh, uh, think about raising kids now. One thing I hear from people who raise kids <laughs> is that uh, kids can wear you out sometimes. Uh, that they can be tiring and they can stretch your patience. Um, but also, but what makes it worthwhile? You see those kids and there are moments of overwhelming gratitude when you look at the face of little ones that is just makes it all worthwhile. All the struggles, all the exhaustion, you see the look on these faces and you're overwhelmed with gratitude and you're like, God lives, God exists, God is great. And you know what? I'm ready to go clean those diapers. I'm ready to go deal with all the ups and downs of things because God is great. Those moments of gratitude. Praise God for God's mighty works. But we see other things in Psalm 152. I mean, there's more than just two verses here. What do we see? We see people singing. Singing has been shown, MJ can back me up here, singing has been shown to make us happier people. So when you see someone in the pew next to you who's not singing in the hymnal, you can say, hey, if you want to be happier, just keep singing. (laughs) 
It works. Or join the choir. Like, how much happier can you be than these people here, okay? You can join the choir and have the experience of music. Or you sing along the street some random song that comes into your mind. Now, I am not very good about popular culture. You know, whenever you go to those pub quizzes and the popular culture questions come up, I, like, put my head down. If it's something about history, okay, fine. Theology, fine. But pop culture, like, I run away the other direction. But... Some of pop culture still makes its way into my life, including, I remember five years ago, there's that Pharrell Williams song from Despicable Me 2, Happy. Remember that song? The thing I loved about that song, that song comes on with its beat and its, and, its, and its lyrics, and you can't help but be happy. Every time that song came on, I was happy. That's why it was the number one single, because it made people happy to listen to it. It's this amazing thing where it's just like, uh, just like people being happy here in this psalm, just praising God with all these different instruments. Same kind of thing. Although, there's one of the, in the, one of the lines in the chorus I, I find amusing. It's like, um, clap along um, as if you feel like a room without a roof. And I was always thinking to myself, God, you know, like, Farrah Williams has not spent much time in the summer in Houston. Uh, <laughs> he's clapping along but that, n- never mind, never mind you get the point of what he's saying Okay, happiness if you're feeling down, you need a little bit of joy music but there's some other things in here too the, the, the music singing, it's interesting the music singing here is clearly not a solitary act this is a group singing these are singing with other people now, you often hear in this church, because I bring it up, uh, stuff about liberation theology. Liberation theology, again, is this theological movement that grew out of Latin America in the 1960s that focuses on a preferential option for the poor or the oppressed. And central to liberation theology, central to liberation theology is something called a base or basic ecclesial community which is a group of people who are themselves on the margins or oppressed, who get together to read scripture and praise God from the lens of their experience, through their experience. So often scripture and the tradition get read through people in positions of power. Liberation theology is like, no, the scripture was written from a position of people who were oppressed. The narrative narrative themes that run through the Bible are those of liberation from oppression. And so what you do as a good liberation theologian is you get together in your base ecclesial communities and you read scripture from your own experience and you find your experience in the text. So, for instance, let's say you're a woman and you get together with other women to read the biblical text from the perspective of women. It's so often read from a very patriarchal perspective but it can be read from a perspective of women. One of the things that comes through in this text, who who tended to play tambourines and dance in ancient ancient Israelite society? The women. You see this in Miriam's dance, most especially after the Israelites come through uh, the Red Sea. Uh, Here are women leading Psalm 150. Women taking a leading liturgical role in trying to lead the people of Israel to lift up their voices in prayer and praise. And what is liberation? What what do those basic ecclesial communities do? They form solidarity with other people. You want to find joy? Find, you know, be in solidarity with someone going through your life experience. That is one of the surest ways to be in a place of joy. 
So if you are grieving, for instance, one way for you to find some joy amidst that sadness is to be with other people who are grieving or have gone through that so you can talk about your experience honestly and share that with other people. That is liberating. It doesn't mean it's all happy, but it can bring you joy. If you're down and you need to find some way to be joyful, solidarity. It's right here in the text. And finally, of course, the most obvious thing, praise God. God from whom all blessings flow. God our maker, the God who made you as you are, to be able to praise God, makes you joyful. We as human beings are hardwired and tuned to give joy and praise to our creator. The God who made you as you are. When you lift up your voices in praise and prayer, it is a way to bring joy. So one reason why you have to come together on Sunday morning, or why I would encourage you to come together on Sunday morning, to praise your creator. You're hardwired to do it, and you feel better and more joyful when you do. But you know what? You can also lift up praise to God in other parts of your life and in other ways. One, of, uh, <laughs> one poem that a friend pointed out to me a few years ago uh, it's this poem, sort of an odd poem, but it gets to this point. It's just like the ultimate introvert's poem, okay? Uh, that's why I want to lift it up. It's called Dance Roost by William Carlos Williams. If I, when my wife is sleeping, and the baby and Kathleen are sleeping, and the sun is a flame-white disc in silken mists above shining trees... If I, in my north room, dance naked, grotesquely, before my mirror, waving my shirt round my head and singing softly to myself, I am lonely, lonely, I was born to be lonely, I am best so. If I admire my arms, my face, my shoulders, flanks, buttocks against the yellow-drawn shades, who shall say I am not the happy genius of my household? I love that image. The one person who loves being an introvert who finally gets some time to himself at the end of the night and just decides to be wild and crazy and strip down naked and start dancing in his room and be like, yes! <laughs> who shall say I'm not the happy genius of my household? See, you can praise God even in that way. Isn't this remarkable? Now, we are in the Easter season. This is Easter tide. The nice thing about the liturgical calendar is it has its ups and downs. Different times of the season are supposed to, different times of the year are supposed to bring us through different parts of our faith lives. Lent is a time of introspection, a time of prayer, a time of fasting. We went through that in our journey of Lent. Well, now, now we get Easter season. This is the season of resurrection, a season of joy. So for the next seven weeks until Pentecost, when we'll shift to a different season, between now and June 9th, I encourage you to remember joy and to take this psalm seriously. Take it home with you. Put it up on your little refrigerator or bulletin board if you have it. Because there are going to be times in the next seven weeks where you, need to be re- where you need to be reminded of joy and sustained by joy. In here is a message that you need. Create time for gratitude. Remember to sing. Be in solidarity with others. And praise God in whatever way you like to praise God. Because in the midst of those things, you will find joy, the kind of joy that we all need.